0: Welcome to The Weekly, a podcast brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. Like always, I'm your host, Jay Ewing. In the booth today, we have two great guests, one who's going to step in for me in a few weeks, and another one who I will continue to see because of baseball season, Thomas Milburn and Patrick. How are y'all? Doing well happy easter (laughs) happy easter they're not going to talk so i'm going to go straight to calvarybible.com that's where you need to click click your campus find out what's happening in your neck of the woods here at the weekly we always are pointing you back to calvarybible.com because there's so many great things happening on your campus not just my campus not just patrick's campus not just thomas's campus but all campuses here at calvary so go to calvarybible.com I know that Kids Week is open. That's a major, major. You need to click on that and get signed up because Kids Week is open as well as so many great trips happening in middle school and high school this summer along with Women's Bible Study, Men's Studies. Click your campus. Do me a solid. Go there today. Find out what's happening. Also, leave a prayer request. We love praying for you here at Calvary. And that is all I'm going to say before these men start talking. Men.
1: Okay, hold on one second. How how long does baseball season go? Until the first week of June. Really? Yeah. Ooh, I don't know if I have that on my calendar. <laughs> Patrick Jay and I are our kids are on the same baseball team. Oh, so funny. And Jay is the coach or manager. manager. What's your position? Yeah. Manager. Oh, manager.
2: Manager. Wow. I didn't realize they had manager for five year old baseball.
1: Not only is Jay the manager, he has recruited like seven other coaches. Are the coaches then in baseball? Yeah. Like you're the pitching coach? Yeah, I actually Based have. You're not the
0: pitching manager. No, the pitching coach, I have uh, a pitching staff for wow. Cold Creek Little League. Yeah.
2: There you go. Hey, baseball man. in Erie.
0: Hey, it's really fun, actually. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, I would say we have the most
1: fun. We do. Of That's, all the teams.
0: Doesn't mean we win the most games. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you think How many games do you think we'll win? How many oh. games are there? 20. Less than that. Less than 20? Yeah. Let's say we have 18
0: games. Yeah. Will we win more than two? Yes. (sighs) You know what, Patrick, what I'm trying to do here and and as a manager? I'm just trying to get us (laughs) to be the best version of ourselves at playoffs so that we can compete in playoffs. Yeah. It doesn't really matter in the season, although there's some standing issues, but no one in Little League – who takes first place, first seed, and ever gets to the championship? Just a. Everyone knows that. Just you, you cannot handle that pressure.
1: I just think it's fun to watch the boys develop over the oh, year, yeah. because they go from like really knowing nothing. Case in point, Patrick.
2: <laughs> Tell me.
1: We have practice on Monday, right? Sure. I'm not. I'm not going to name names. Okay. <laughs> let's 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 create somebody. We'll call him okay. Jay. Ah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's fictional Jay.
1: It's fictional Jay.
2: We could call him pasta Jay. Yeah,
1: we could <laughs> call him pasta Jay. No, it, it, this, this has relevance. So okay. they're coaching the boys of like situational awareness. And in baseball, it's all about situational awareness, right? Yeah. The complexities of the game come down to what's the situation, where's the ball, where's it go. Yep. And the coaching staff is yelling baseball terms yep. like, where's the play, force mm-hmm. out. You know, and the boys are just throwing the ball into like the dugout, you know, and (laughs) finally there's this like epiphany of, hey, timeout boys, do you know what a forced out is? And they all say, yes. (laughs) And then this hypothetical manager (laughs) calls them on the carpet and says, what is a forced out? And that was their response, (laughs) Which (laughs) which makes me think about easter and how we say all these terms and say like he's resurrected it's resurrection sunday it's coming on ascension sunday we have 40 days to celebrate his resurrection gospel story luke john and everyone nods their head and then one's like do you get it do you get it and then like their life is like all kind of just dis- dysfunctional and then we say do you guys know what these words mean do you know what jesus did In conquering death. Do you know what the cross was for? The grave was for? The resurrection was for? And they all nod yes. And then someone calls them on the carpet and says, tell me about it. And it's about that quiet. So thinking about Easter, how was it for you guys? And what was that event? What what did we just remember?
2: Man, I think it's great that the preacher's asking the not preacher. Talk about it. Yeah, a, he's talked a, a lot turnabout. over the last week. <laughs> oh, <so laughs> he's done though. talking. <laughs> he's, I've he's taken he's a vow of silence. Thing. You're asking me. <laughs> yeah, the you guys was listening apparently. Let's have the
1: conversation. What was Easter? What, what just happened? Man,
2: I think John at the Boulder campus put it so well before the scripture reading that Easter really is the point at which all of history changes story of the world mm-hmm. just shifts in a fundamental way because the thing that was so paramount in the life of all humans, the specter of death, was defeated. And that defeat was promised to everyone who would accept it. And I'm like, whoa, that, that is what the resurrection is in my mind. It's like, it, it's this incredible moment where we get to see the greatest fear we have the greatest evil we face defeated on our behalf and given to us as a free gift mm-hmm. by the Lord Jesus and then we just get to celebrate it and that that was a really sweet thing for us Tina and I my wife we got home and just had a sweet dance party with our toddler before my parents came over nice we had lunch all together but it was so fun just to remember that it was a day of celebrating yeah life over death
0: yeah there's not much add to that except that i would say it's the pinnacle of all human history and the pinnacle of our faith is the one day it's called easter easter sunday where jesus yeah what what exactly what patrick's saying so as we think about anything in relation to our lives we have to think about the most pinnacle moment, and that is the most pinnacle moment, the resurrection. Sunday when they said, He's, it's empty. The, the tomb's empty. And when Mary sees a gardener, and it turns out to be Jesus, we, we should take notice, right? It's so when Peter and John hear from the women that the grave is empty, John outruns Peter. He waits, huffing and puffing, here comes Peter, probably out of shape, mid-40 life. And, you know, it's empty. And uh, it is, yeah, I think you're right. This is, This is the center of the story of the world.
1: Yeah, I think it's cool that our calendars reflect mm-hmm. like just a shift mm-hmm. in time in the sense that Jesus Christ died. And then it wasn't like from that moment forward, people could get saved. It's in that moment, it impacted the past to the beginning. And it has the effects to the future forever. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like in this historical factual moment in time, this event like just blows in both directions. It's crazy. And it's like, it just reinterprets and covers everything that came before. And then it just like gives this hope and this blanket of everything that's
0: going to come. Yeah. And it's not even our own, It's not even because of, we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus, that we believe this. It's like the weekday calendar reflects us. Sunday starts the week. Um, our larger calendar reflects Jesus' work. It's pretty crazy how that moment in history is the moment.
1: Yeah, I think it's hilarious when they're like, you know, in the academia we're going to get rid of BC and AD and we're going to go with, you know, before common era and then, you know, common era. And you're like, it's just one layer away. You just like turn the page. You're like, and then what was the event that distinguishes the common (laughs) era? From before. Yeah. From before the common era. Oh, oh, Christ. Jesus. Okay. So like some level, everybody should know Jesus. Yeah. Right. I mean, and you think all major world religions have some deep affection for Jesus. Yeah. Have some statement. Make some statement about him. Yeah. There's one.
2: There's a reality that yeah. everyone has to deal with about him, at some level.
1: You got to do something with him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially with the resurrection, like it's the thing that's most controversial about his character.
1: Yeah. It fundamentally changes who he is. Yeah. If he rose, if he didn't rise. Yep. And what did he accomplish in his death and resurrection? I thought Scott did a nice job opening in. Opening the Easter service here in in Erie, just reminding us what Easter was from Ephesians one. Like we're dead in our sins, and Christ makes us alive, which was so good. But also reminds us like the resurrection is the pivotal piece. Like that's the question. If it if he didn't raise from the dead, then none of this matters. And not just to Calvary in Boulder Erie and Thornton, but to Christians on every continent on the planet that gathered. And I think there are some southern in Antarctica. What do you think? Probably on Sunday. Probably a a couple. There's probably a service going on.
2: Yeah. One of those scientific outposts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you think about that. Every major city has these Easter celebrations. In every small village, there's an Easter celebration. That's
0: crazy. It's absolutely nuts that it actually, you know, when someone asks you, What's the most important moment in your 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 life? You actually can't say your birthday. You, you as a follower of Jesus, you say resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It's the most important. Mm-hmm. It's where everything that you would ever believe hinges upon about God and about His work.
2: Man, and I think was such an important thing. It's important. For so many ways, like it affects us today, mm-hmm. now, deeply. It affects everyone we know so deeply. And Thomas, I, I think I was just wondering, in your years of ministry, what have been some of the, there's the biblical evidence that we appeal to that we talked about on Sunday, but even, what are some of the other evidences, effects of the resurrection that have been really important to you and your faith?
1: Yeah. Let's let's take those as two questions. I think they're really good, Patrick is. What's it look like to be living out the resurrection? So it's not mm-hmm. just what happened on the weekend. Yeah. There should be some influence of us today
0: and especially as we look forward to Ascension Sunday, right? Yeah, so we got 40 days before of Jesus dying and then we have 40 days of after called Easter yeah. tide. It's Easter season. And and what's what does that mean for us
1: Monday through Friday? Yeah. And then what are the evidences? So with evidences, I mean, one of one of the, the strongest arguments isn't like a singular argument, but the volume of arguments. So like one of mm. them could be, okay, how about just the pervasiveness of the church today? Yeah. So the fact that like, name another, I, I said this one time in a service, I said, name another first century carpenter. And I was like, oh, this is so good. And then someone yells out, Joseph. <laughs>
2: and I was like... <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like, oh, I walked right into that one. But, you know. Someone
0: to have two cups of coffee in them. Yeah, they're like, I got this. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, but, you know, in some silly way, it's like, okay, you remember all the incredible people who had positions of authority, not carpenters from Nazareth, you know. And fundamentally, we I, I like this joke, is like 2,000 years later, the most famous person of the first century is probably Caesar Augustus like, well-known person in that time period. Thanks to William Shakespeare. <laughs> and now people primarily know him as a salad dressing and know nothing of him. I would say Julius C. Usler is probably known. So the Caesars it, in general. The yeah. Caesars yeah. in general. It's, it's like, Caesars. that's who you're going to know. Yeah. No yeah. one's going to know Jesus. Yeah. And yet now, on the planet, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. So there's some evidence there. But it's. I think it's really the the volume of things. So I don't know. I think we can go back and forth on like, which ones would you, or how would you order it? But in no particular order, just from our text on Sunday, you have the eyewitness accounts and you have all the wrong witnesses, right? So if you're going to make up a story about Jesus raising from the dead, you use credible witnesses. And the first witnesses are women to the tomb, which in the first century, they're not allowed to bear witness in a court of law. So you, if you're going to create a story, don't create it with witnesses that have no credibility
0: in your time period. So Herod and Pilate probably should be the ones that show up first and say he's risen. Right. Because they're the most credible. They're the most the credible. Yeah. And then you take your credible
1: witnesses, your disciples, and they're all unbelievers on day one. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> Which all you're all like, sick. wait a minute, if you're going to make up the story and you're going to be the one that tells the story, I'm going to tell a story that I'm doing super well. And so there's some credibility to the integrity of the story that it includes embarrassing details of the key witnesses. So none of them think that he's going to raise from the dead. Then you have the evidence of the empty tomb. So like, why is the tomb empty? Which gives you a couple answers like, okay, did someone steal the body um, and pretend like he wasn't there? If they did that, uh, how'd they get past Roman guard who are, you know, paid under the threat of death, to guard the tomb.
0: We actually, doesn't one kill himself? Do they? 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 They make up a story so they don't die. Yeah, I think that's it. They're paid historically. It's, they're paid off,
1: so that they won't tell people, right, that they fell asleep or that they were taken over by yep. perhaps an angel, but said that the They're paid to say the disciples came. That's right, that's and that's sold the bodies. Goes. Right. Yep. Oh. Um, so if the disciples stole it then that means they have to go live the rest of their life knowing a lie. So one of the evidences is that they actually die. So what, what accounts for the incredible transition between Peter denying Jesus the night before to now being willing to die yeah. for what he would have to know as a lie? And so that doesn't make a lot of sense. There's four gospel stories that we have that were in circulation at the time of Christ's resurrection, which would be like, the Daily Camera or the Denver Post posting the day the, the news of the day, and then we read it and we're like, well, that didn't happen. But all the historians of the day are like, yeah, actually, that's that's what happened according to the you know the eyewitness of the day. So even you know people who aren't Christians would say, if you look at the historians like Josephus, the histories say that the disciples believed that Jesus rose from the dead
0: and went and died for it. And even his text is not very reliable in like in the sense of not as reliable as actually the gospel accounts. Yeah. Does that make sense? There's not as many evidences right. that, yeah. But even
1: his account and like rabbinical accounts will account for an empty tomb. Right. So it's kind of like this. It's like, so everyone, everyone agrees the tomb was empty under guard with a stone rolled in front of it. And the question is like, how, how did it get emptied? You know, it's kind of like Jesus' miracles. Everyone might dispute how Jesus is able to do it, but you have secularists, like the Greeks who are writing at the time, who are saying Jesus is actually doing these things, and they're recording it in history. They say it's magic. The rabbis of the day are watching Jesus do these things, and they're saying it's actually happening, and they account for it as demonic. And then you have the Christians who are saying, we're watching this, and it's the act of God, right? So everyone agrees that the miracles and these things are happening. The conversation is how. So it's like... the tomb is actually empty. So historically, whether you're a Christian or not, everybody agrees the tomb is empty. Yeah. The question is how, you know? So th- these are the kind of the evidences that just like compound. Then you have Jesus appearing to a plethora of witnesses, it's, you know, individuals at time, men and women, young and old, with groups, inside, outside. It's like, it's not just one appearance to one person who saw a vision of him, right? It's like, for 40 days, this guy walks around and meets with everybody. Yeah. And then the church begins. Like, there's some evidence of a resurrection. Over so, 500 people. At one time. But that's not, But that's just one yeah, yeah. one appearance, right? Right. So... He
2: yeah. at least walks the seven miles. Right. In a mess. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: so, I, I mean, like, sometimes I, I, like, make this comment, and it's probably an exaggeration, but, you know, there's more evidence for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus than for my life today. Right. Like historically. Like if you just think of the volumes that have been written about it and the evidences of antiquity compared to even like today. I think that you can make a better case of Jesus than you could of Thomas.
0: That's interesting. I've never thought about it that way. But there's more documentation about him than you. Right. So if I die, the only like real physical documentation is what, like my birth
1: certificate, maybe? Your digital imprint, maybe. But what's, like... That you know. one
2: time you got fingerprinted?
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. That totally. one time. You know, <laughs> the yeah. The arrest card. Um, I but think, like yeah. Digital, I mean, like, just that could just disappear. Then what evidence would there be? I, like you have hard-copied evidence mm-hmm. of Jesus. Totally.
0: That yeah, makes sense. Anyway, makes those sense. are a few. There's, I mean, there's dozens um. of
1: these. And so you just kind of stack them up, and you just realize, man, it would take more, I think... It wasn't that said this. It would take more evidence to to not believe in the resurrection than evidence to believe.
0: Yeah, Lee Strobel, I think, yeah. makes that claim. I I and that's where I would say the case for Christ is one of the best books you could read as a Christian because of how easy it's it is to read. It's fun. It's really sort of this entertaining. But also how much factual, historical, sort of as you, we would use the word defense of the faith, mm-hmm. apologetics, it, it has for us to understand sort of the arguments that are out there about Jesus.
2: So I guess my question, thinking about my high school students that I'm working with, ministering yeah. to that are living in public high schools, how do you help them have the words to bring that kind of relevance to their friends?
1: Yeah, I think... In some respects, it's kind of knowing some of the arguments. Hmm. Like even with, let's go with the absence of the tomb. It's not just that guards were guarding it and it was, you know, closed with a stone. It's the linens are there. These are all the details of a historical document, right? there's all these extra details that you have to do something with. Like the linens are there, but the body's not. And so if the disciples come to steal it, it's such a mistreatment of the body to undo it from its burial linens. They wouldn't, that would be... It'd be terrible it'd be uh such a degradation of the body hmm. but if robbers come to the tomb the thing that the only thing that's worth anything is the linens sure. you know and so you're like you can't have them both and so you can have an empty tomb okay but then you should have an empty tomb with either a body and no linens or linen or uh, yeah or linens and a body or sorry say that backwards either a, a body without linens yeah or linens With a body, you know, and you don't have either. And so these are all the extra details that Luke puts in and the other gospel writers. So part of it is, have you taken time to think through it yourself? Mm -hmm. And it's not just one airtight argument. It's like, just look at evidences. This is how you would investigate a crime or something. Like let's talk through what would we look for if we're going to be suspicious of these things. And then to have some of those things rehearsed, I think helps. Mm -hmm. Um, like talking through it with someone, asking those secondary questions. Like, well, I have, a, I have another question then. Like, what does this mean about Jesus? What about this about? And then just continue to talk about it for and, the high school students.
0: And the linens were actually folded. That's yeah, where, then, like, you, no, Robert, and the history has cleaned up behind themselves. <laughs> you know, it's like smashing grab. Like, that's, yeah. it would be idiotic to do that. So, yeah,
1: I think those are all the details. And the best part is, I mean, you kind got to read the story. As it's intended, like if you're writing this today, we would require you to put footnotes, correct? Like, oh, yeah, cool piece of information. Where'd you get that? And don't cite Wikipedia, right? Or
2: <laughs> cite eight to ten scholarly exactly. Resources.
1: So that's essentially what Luke has done. Is I'm going to name people throughout the story, mm-hmm. and these are my footnotes essentially, so that when you receive this and you're like, who told you that? well, I named you, I named it, his name was Cleopas on the road to Emmaus. I know him. Yeah, you can go at, like, you're receiving the story the same time Cleopas is alive. So he's your footnote. And so even like later historians, you can say, okay, did these people live at the same time? Was Herod the governor of Judea at that time? Was there really a census that went out? And you can look at extra biblical texts that aren't trying to push any sort of agenda and say, do they affirm the footnotes of these people that Luke puts in? So I think for the high school student, or even anyone really, mm-hmm. it's kind of back to our baseball analogy. It's like, do you guys all believe the resurrection? Yes. Why? You know, it's like, well, we shouldn't be silent. There is so many pieces of a historical factual evidence mm-hmm. that we can have confidence to say, yep, this is why I believe what it is.
2: Yeah, oh, that's sweet. Thanks for yeah, clarifying yeah. that answering that. And even you had mentioned I asked you two questions that you separated out so well. But even how do you see that resurrection reality breaking into the Monday through Friday?
1: Yeah. I don't want to be like the answer man on this podcast episode, but
0: I think Eugene has a great phrase called practicing resurrection. And that's a weird phrase in cultural moments in some ways. But I think it really helps sort of understand that each day we live, we are living in view of a resurrected king. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? So what is Jesus about? He's about redeeming. What did the first disciples do after they saw the resurrection? They told people about the resurrection, right? They did something with it. They like lived a life that was different than what they had lived before. So that's how you practice resurrection. You wake up today thinking, I'm living a life different and and better and in focus of Jesus is raising from the dead today at work than I did yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I'm kinder, right? I, these are the things that resurrection forces you to do. Life change. It changes the disciples' life. It changes our life. How do I see? I understand that God still does miracles, that I'm I'm still praying for miracles. I'm praying for my friend's diagnosis of cancer because I'm practicing resurrection. I, I'm living to the reality. If, if, a, if God can raise jesus from the dead then he can easily step in on a cancer diagnosis Mm. does that make sense oh yeah i just saw it today even like tulips in colorado show us resurrection because out of the winter the first signs of springs are tulips right something that was dead from winter is now alive right
2: It's actually one of my favorite things to do in a place that my wife and I have lived is planting tulips because it's just this perennial gift of death to life that always shows up again and again.
1: Right. Yeah. I think it being in this even season of spring is like everything's in Colorado is about to just go off. Right. Right. It's going to become green again. Well, I'm sneezing a lot. So yes, (laughs) that's a really blow up. And I think for me in my own, just like talking about practicing resurrection is as I see the trees get new buds on it and the trees in my backyard that I planted that were 18 inches tall when I planted them. And now they're like over eight feet. Mm. um, I'm asking myself, I wonder if I've grown, like in what ways have I grown over the years? Like, What ways is there new life? in me mm-hmm. because I'm practicing the way of Jesus yeah. or, you know, gosh, it just looks like there's actually not real growth there. It's all manufactured. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm giving the appearance that it's green, but it's not. And then, and there's another just a visual in my own life. Cause last year I tore out all my grass in Erie and I put in synthetic turf in my backyard, which is amazing. And True Green, I think we're just making phone calls in January. And True Green calls me and says, Hey, how's your grass looking? Do you think we could help you out this year? And I told him, But my grass is looking bright green right now. <laughs> He's like, How's that possible? <laughs> <laughs> so I have synthetic turf. He goes, Oh, all right, have a good day. You know. <laughs> and but it's funny because during the whole winter I'm exposed. Everyone knows that my grass is fake. Mm-hmm. But then in the spring, it's less evident, right? Mm-hmm. And I just think about my life with with faith is like, am I living a true resurrected life in which this is real grass, this is real fruit, or have I just manufactured it to look this way in front of other Christians? Mm. Is that real resurrection, or am I just, I just kind of know the playbook. And I know what I'm supposed to look like, and so I have enough knowledge to make my life look like it's alive, but it's actually not.
0: Yeah, oh. yeah and like someone, you know, who's had a horrible season of marriage or just devastating relationships, like, the hope of this Easter practice is that God can raise that from the dead. He can change those relationships yeah. into new life because that's what he does best. You know, that's what God does best. If you want evidence of God is that he actually continues to change. If he's still alive, he continues to change lives mm-hmm. and really bring dead things back to life. Yeah, I had in the last 10 days
1: three people in in my you know, life's fear have died and it's such a different lens to have walked through each one of those with resurrection in mind,
0: mm.
1: you know, and to someone who's listening is like, well, you've just been duped. Maybe like, maybe I am. Um, I don't think so. I think historically and factually there's evidence for the resurrection. And if the resurrection really happened, then all three of my friends who have died in Christ are alive today that's awesome you know it doesn't it doesn't change grief and sorrow for me for families for the church but man that's different than to the grave they went and to the grave they stay Mm
2: -hmm. yeah that's right that's
0: right what a beautiful thing
2: thanks for sharing thomas oh man
0: and jay so we go we we're, we're approaching our 30 minute limit
1: here it is the the board just shuts off at thirty minutes. Patrick, yeah, totally. wow, that's so good. to <laughs> know. So their podcast is just <laughs> turns off. But you know, let's, like a Zoom session with if you don't pay,
2: the music just starts turning on <laughs> all by <laughs> itself.
0: The microphone <laughs> descends from, from, <laughs> to the ground, <laughs> like the Emmys, the Oscars. But um, you know, we're, this is really good. This is why we're in. We're going into the Book of Daniel because when some living is about how do you how does one live in a world that doesn't understand there's a God or that God's in charge, right? Yeah. Is that what Daniel's asking? What is Daniel? What? Why are we in Daniel? Why are we going to Daniel? No, Daniel's going to be great. Um, we're going to look at the first part of Daniel mm-hmm. to clarify. Uh,
1: maybe we'll do an evening of eschatology and pick up the second part. You just I, said it out loud, by the way. And you the know? second part is great. second part is building in Daniel the things to come, right? Mm-hmm. But the big question of Daniel is, Okay, I'm living in a, in a foreign land that does not love and honor God. I have convictions of faith that I can't compromise on. And at the same time, I'm called to plant vineyards, build houses, have families, help the city prosper. Because as the city prospers, so will my life. And so what is a compromise to faith? What's not a compromise to faith? Sometimes it just feels like that knife's edge. Of is this true to Jesus or not? And um, though we do not live in exile in the sense of Daniel in an occupied force, and we're not being persecuted the same way Daniel was, I think there are several things we can learn from the way Daniel lived out his convictions, at the same time, lived in a very real world that did not honor his God. And some of those convictions brought him to the end of the line where it says, I'm sorry, I'm not budging unto death. I hold this one. And there are others that are not his preferences, but um, he's willing to create relational equity with people. And we called the the whole series winsome living that, that, that words not found in the book of Daniel. And someone was saying the other day, you know, like, how, what does this title mean? Um, winsome is kind of just a play on words of you live in such a way. that's like, you're as shrewd as a serpent, right? Um, but you're innocent as doves and winsome is, can I live out my convictions, remaining faithful to God winsomely that others might see how I live and win some to the faith. And so what's the posture for a
0: Christian in today's society? And I would add actually, and I would maybe rebuttal that we are living in exile, not the way in which Daniel was living, but we are, Paul says we have tents. We're not, we're not. Yeah, Peter says we're exiles in the current world. Citizenship is in heaven. Right. And so Daniel really instructs us how to live in exile. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I think the the important distance to make, and we'll try to do this from week to week, is, yes, I'm in exile. It's like Peter calls me. But I'm not in a foreign land with an oppressive regime forcing me to learn foreign customs necessarily. Right.
2: Our exile is not a political, yeah. geographical one, but a spiritual one. We live in a world where perfect. God hasn't fully taken control over yeah. everything, but he has claimed control of our lives.
1: Which will be a great parallel. Yeah. That's perfect, Patrick. Yeah, that's really good. It's going to be good, man. That it's going to be like really fun. fun. It's going to be fun because I think most people have reserved the book of Daniel to children's stories. Ugh. And it's like, we 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 have so neutered them I guess almost so that we can tell them to children it's a cute story about lions because man the stories are super intense
2: they're so (laughs) intense dude's getting fed to lions Like, what if that was our death penalty I know people would be in the streets it'd be
0: crazy
1: I'm
2: excited for this series
0: all right guys that sounds like a wrap up on the conversation this week I was so, so thankful that you guys are here sort of instructing us, giving us hope for why we are practicing resurrection as the people of Calvary, as well as looking forward to what's coming up at Calvary here with the Daniel series, Winsome Living. Anything you want to say to end?
2: I'm excited for Winsome because it's it'll be beautiful, persuasive in a world that doesn't think they need
1: it. I hope so. That's my prayer. That is my prayer.
0: All right, just like we began, we're going to end in silence. Look forward to you hearing how you think we should live in view of the resurrection. You can always write us at theweekly@calvarybible.com. At hit Patrick, hit Thomas, hit myself up in the lobby. Um, email us, let us know how you are practicing resurrection as well as know that we love you. We're so thankful that you're listening and have a great week.